Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. So Joe Manchin is absolutely crushing the fate and future of our children and grandchildren. It's that bad. This man is that deplorable. Uh, Bernie Sanders is going to call in. He wants to share with us some thoughts about the Build Back Better, which Joe Manchin just put a knife into the heart of. We will discuss that, a few other things that are on Bernie's mind. Also, because we haven't held Trump accountable, he's now forming a shadow government in Washington, D.C. They've got a $35 million budget and over 100 employees and a whole bunch of his former cabinet members. I'll tell you about that. And also, this whole thing with the Secret Service. I want to get into the timeline that the Secret Service is laying out makes absolutely no sense. I'll give you the details on that. But to start the program off, Joe Manchin. He was babbling a few months ago about, oh, yeah, we got to do something. I'm concerned about my grandchildren, about their future. Horse feathers. He just said no to anything that will affect the climate. This is the guy, of course, who's made hundreds of millions, perhaps billions, who knows, but you know, certainly we can document hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars over the years from coal in his own state in a corrupt deal with a power plant. One of the most corrupt Democrats out there, Joe Manchin. And he notified the Democratic leaders, no, I was not negotiating in good faith. I'm a total ass. I mean, he didn't use those words, but basically said the same thing. Uh, Manchin, Schumer, and the president were negotiating over hundreds of billions of dollars to stop climate change, renewable energy uh, tax breaks for electric vehicles. Uh, for many manufacturers, they've already run out. Clean power sources. The chair of the Senate Finance Committee is my senator, Ron Wyden, here from Oregon, one of my two senators. It is Jeff Merkley, just one of the very best guys in, in Congress. They both are. Ron Wyden and Jeff Merkley are. I'm so proud of my senators. But anyhow, Ron Wyden said, this is our last chance to prevent the most catastrophic and costly effects of climate change. Well, it's gone. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse came out and said, now it's time for Joe Biden to do something. Now, obviously, Biden can't do tax credits for green energy because that requires an act of Congress. Only Congress can raise taxes or even alter tax policy. Only Congress can appropriate money to be spent. The president can decide how the money that's been appropriated gets moved around. And that actually is a considerable amount of power. So Sheldon Whitehouse has, has now come out and said, and I quote, this is a tweet, with legislative climate options not closed, it's now time for executive beast mode. Free at last. Let's roll. Do it all and start it now. I agree. And uh, the White House comment line is 202-456-1111. We need executive orders to do something about climate, and we need them now. We need them right away, number one. Number two. Because we have failed so far to hold Donald Trump accountable, it's been over 500 days since he committed arguably the worst crime against democracy in the history of the republic. Because we have failed to hold him accountable, he and his criminal cronies 
have put together this, this uh, shadow government, essentially. It's called the America First Policy Institute. And uh, it's got a whole bunch of uh, former you know, Trump cronies from, from his, uh, his corrupt cabinet. Homeland Secretary, former Homeland Secretary Chad Wolf. He's the executive director and chief strategy officer. Kellyanne Conway is there. Larry Kudlow, who used to come on this program and try to convince me that, you know, capitalism is more important than democracy, don't you know? Uh, David Bernhardt, uh, who is the, his interior secretary, you know, selling off public lands to oil companies and mining companies. Matt Whitaker, who is the former acting attorney general, you know, suck up to Trump. Uh, Mark Lauder, John Ratcliffe, who is the national intelligence director, who was not all that bright. Um, last month, they announced that they had hired uh, Michael Regas, the former uh, acting director of the Office of uh, Personnel and Management. This thing has grown. It started off with 15 people. It now has 150 people on its payroll with a current operating budget of $25 million a year. There are 17 former senior staff, White House, uh, White House staffers, 35 former senior, uh, senior level administration officials, and three former governors, including Bobby Jindal of Louisiana. Bloomberg has a, a, a fascinating piece about the whole thing. And what, what are they doing, the shadow government? This is, by the way, what I had been on this program back in 2020 was begging the Democrats to do the Biden campaign. Put together a shadow cabinet. Show us who you want to have. Get ready to take over the White House. Lay out policy proposals so on the day that you are inaugurated, if you win the election, you can hit the ground running. And to the best of my knowledge, they didn't do it, but I, I thought it was a good idea, and apparently somebody from the Trump administration was listening because they're doing that now. It's, it's pretty incredible. So I, I wanted to flag that for you, particularly if, like me, you're getting emails from the America First Policy Institute. That's who they are. That's where they're coming from, and that's what they're up to. The other story I wanted to share with you before I pick up your phone calls is this story from the Secret Service that just by coincidence, in the first weeks of January, they started deleting all of the uh, records on their cell phones, uh, putting them back to factory settings in anticipation of new phones arriving. Now, maybe there's a miscommunication here. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe it's, uh, you know, and, and I, I suspect they're not gonna be able to hide this. We, we will find out what the actual deal is, or at least I hope we will with these missing texts from January 5th and January 6th that could tell us, you know, what happened in the beast, what happened with the Secret Service. Why, you know, the big questions, who built the gallows? Why wasn't there security at the Capitol building when everybody in the country knew? Steve Bannon was talking about it on the radio, that there was going to be a riot at the Capitol building. Everybody knew this. It was not a secret. People were bringing weapons. Why is Chris Miller not being deposed, the, the acting Secretary of Defense who, who wrote the memo to the D.C. National Guard saying, you may not go to the Capitol tomorrow? But anyhow, back to the Secret Service and their phones. This is, this is the timeline that just doesn't make any sense to me. And in fact, uh, over at Daily Co's, uh, NX fan has got a diary. It's titled, I always res factory reset my phone before getting a new one, don't you? Uh, which is sarcastic. Now, here's how it works, right? If you buy a new phone, you back up your old phone to your computer, you hook your new phone up to your computer and you restore into that new phone so all of your contacts are there, all of your emails are there, all of your, your passwords are there, all of your text messages are there, all your old email, you know, basically the new phone becomes a clone of the old phone. That's how you do it. But for some reason, Around January 5th and 6th, members of the Secret Service simply reset their phone to factory settings before they backed them up, before they got new phones. Now, I've never done that in my life. That's stupid. That's insane. That's crazy. I've had iPhones for, I don't know how long the things have been out, but ever since the, I think it was version 3 was probably the first one I got. And, you know, I'm, I've still got... I still got uh, text messages going back to the, to the, to the mid to early 2000s because you don't, you know, after, after you, the old phone has been backed up to your computer and your computer has backed it up to your new phone, 
after you do that, then you take the old phone and you reset it to the factory settings so that, you know, if you want to recycle it back to Apple or back to Samsung or whatever the manufacturer may be, um, you're not sending them your information. Or if you're going to, you know, whatever. I've got a bunch of old phones sitting in my drawer. I keep thinking one of these days I should fire them up and go through and reset them all to factory settings, which I, I never, never got around to doing. But, um, you know, it wasn't so much of a thing back in the day. But if they're trying to tell us that these guys reset their phones to factory settings before they got the new phones, I'm calling BS. This makes absolutely no sense. This stinks to high heaven of a cover-up. And keep in mind, the number two guy in the Secret Service became, you know, uh, Trump's uh, one of, you know, uh, I forget the title. It wasn't chief of staff, but it was, because that was Mark Meadows. But it was something very close to that, like chief, chief of security or something. I mean, he hired right out of the Secret Service. This agency had been corrupted by Donald Trump. So should it be a surprise that they, you know, if they've been corrupted by Trump, as police agencies are, you know, it's so easy to do. Should it be a surprise that they're engaged in a massive cover-up? And let's see here. Rodney in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Hey, Rodney. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Hey, What's up? Hey, Tom, how are you? Hey, the lady from uh, Colorado just got arrested for uh, election fraud. Screwing around with the voting equipment. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. What about Lauren uh, Bodo? Is she in, she, she, in the, she in the mix of that or what? I, you know, as far as I can tell, Bobert is, actually, I don't know. I'm no authority on Lauren Bobert. I, I did notice a couple days ago that she lost her restaurant. The, the people who owned the lease on her restaurant uh, decided not to renew it. So Shooter's restaurant then, has gone. And then, oh, James Langford says, okay, for a 13-year-old to have sex. Yeah. Oh, that, that's sex. the other thing with Lauren Bobert is, you know, her husband apparently has a tattoo on his penis. And he whipped it out in a bar to show to a woman once and got arrested and got sent to jail for this. And Bobert has got a new book out saying that it wasn't his fault that he whipped out his dick in a, in a restaurant um, because the woman was begging him to do it. Uh, the other people in the restaurant have somewhat different memories apparently, but uh, <laughs> so that, that's all I know in the news this week about Lauren Bobert, Rodney. Well, all right, uh, Tom, you have a nice day. Okay, thanks a lot. Good talking to you. Rick in Cartersville, Georgia. Hey, Rick, what's up? Uh, hey, Tom. I don't know if uh, if I missed it or not, but when you were talking about the transfer of wealth uh, on your program a couple of days ago, I don't think you really expanded upon the fact that because of the transfer of taxes and, and so forth, that the average working people are having to pay more and stuff like uh, water and sewer fees, and they of course yep. skyrocket to you know pay for the improvements and maintenance and upgrades in the water sewer system. You got splash programs that have to now pay for uh, libraries and schools. You have public-private partnerships that where that you now have toll roads and so forth to pay back on the roads. In fact, talking about the thing here in Georgia that uh, the Republicans think that to combat traffic congestion, you build HOT lanes so that you can pay for the privilege of driving expressway speed while others sit in traffic. And not only that, but uh, the fact that, you know, years ago, and and of course I was beneficial of that too, the fact that uh, being as old as I am, that you know, Social Security with supplemental income, consider that. Rick, I got to run. I'm sorry. When the music starts, you got about 10 seconds to wrap it up. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Dave in Inverness, Florida. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hi, Tom. I haven't talked to you for a while, but I found out about these uh, Secret Service agents dumping their phone messages. Maybe we should rely on what Mr. Snowden says or Tom Drake from the NSA out there in Utah or Bill Binney and go after him. They must have all this stuff recorded, Tom. And if we can't, if we can't access this or, or the DOJ can't access it, what, what are we collecting all that information for? Right. You know, that, the two thoughts occurred to me. One of them was along those lines. Number one, you know, we've got all these spy agencies that are spying on everybody, and you would think that they, at the very least they'd be keeping track of the Secret Service. And number two, the phone companies 
um, you know, they're they're using our data to compile, you know, profiles of us that they can use to sell to advertisers. And I I thought that they typically kept data for for you know a year or so. Um, maybe it's been too long. Uh, it's it's been over a year since January sixth, but. Um, I thought the phone companies might still have the data, too, or they might have it in a backup someplace. I mean, Benny Thompson is talking about we're going to try and recreate these text messages. I don't know how they're going to do that, and I don't know who they're going to do it with, and, and I wish them well. But I, I, I think something stinks to high heaven here. Well, that, that's right, Tom. And if we can't police our, our, our own government, what's the p- purpose of, of collecting all that data out there? You remember what happened to Tom Drake and Benny and Bamford? Remember those guys that devised yeah. a system where they could record everything? Well, let's have it. Yeah, the other thing, you talked about something else, Tom, related to law enforcement. It's always pissed me off that you lie to a policeman or FBI or NCIS guy, and you're breaking the law. Why don't we have a law when they lie to us? It's a felony. That's interesting. Actually, you know, police lie routinely in interrogations. I know. I, that's too bad. They shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, I'm with Just you. That simple. That's coercion. You know. Well, it's it's. It's lying. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not sure it's coercion, but it's lying, and it and it seems to me unethical and inappropriate. Um, yeah, yeah. We well, uh, think about that Bamford thing, though. And, I mean, Snowden thing. Why can't we look it up? And why? I think that uh, uh, Merrick Garland's sleep at the wheel, and I think he's a made man, Tom. I, I, I'd fire him tomorrow, and I and I'd hire Ralph Nader. Yeah. That's what I do. Oh, I. You know, I love Ralph. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> me too. Dave, Dave <laughs> thanks a lot. Tom. Thanks a lot. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. You'll recall last week I published a piece. In fact, I think it was the the Friday before last week. I published a piece about and and a long thread on Twitter that went nuts. Um, uh, You know, they, they got... Uh, broadly, widely uh, retweeted and, and whatnot about this uh, this case that is coming before the U.S. Supreme Court this fall. The, the court just, uh, Moore v. Harper, and the court just picked this up. And at the time, you know, when I first started speaking out about this, I think I was the only person with any kind of noticeable profile in America, maybe I'm patting myself on the back too much here, or I don't mean to be patting myself on the back. Actually, at the time, when I wrote the piece and put this out, I was thinking, am I wrong? Why isn't everybody else saying what I'm saying? Because what I was saying was, it looks to me like the Supreme Court is getting ready to say, okay, Georgia, if you didn't like the way your people voted you know, for Joe Biden in the election, your legislature has the power to overturn the will of the voters and simply give your electoral college votes to, to Donald Trump. And... You know, I, I laid that out, and I and I laid out this scenario where I, you know, I, I said that the, uh, you know, just imagine, right, in 2024, it's uh, Joe, I was just using Joe Biden. Frankly, I, I doubt that he's going to run for re-election, but who knows? I mean, he's not going to uh, admit that he's not going to run for re-election. That, that would kill his presidency right now. Um, but, you know, I, I think Gavin Newsom uh, releasing that video down in Florida, was an opening shot in the 2024 primary. Um, I think Kamala Harris has been doing some great stuff. I think those are opening shots in the 2024 primary. But in any case, I used uh, Joe Biden just, you know, 
because it was easy and convenient, and said, you know, Joe Biden is running against Ron DeSantis, and Biden wins just like he won in 2020. And then Georgia comes in and says, no, we've decided to give our electoral college votes, even though they went to Joe Biden, we're going to give them to Ron DeSantis anyway. And then Arizona says the same thing, and then Michigan says the same thing, and then, you know, Wisconsin, et cetera. And like I said, I was expecting or half expecting a number of people, particularly some of your high profile lawyers out there to say, Hartman, you're nuts. And instead, Lawrence Tribe retweeted my article, as did Heather Cox Richardson and, uh, you know, a few other people, a few other high profile people. Heather Cox Richardson, by the way, mentioned another tweet of mine in her newsletter last night. If you don't subscribe to her Substack newsletter, you're missing something really good. She is chronicling history on a day-by-day basis as it happens. And it's such a brilliant read. Uh, But in in any case, uh, now the folks are starting to come out. This was in the Atlantic, Thomas Wolfe and and, uh, Ethan Herrenstein wrote a piece called How the Supreme Court Could Upend the Integrity of Our Elections. Uh, It has moved from, you know, fringe left-wing talk radio hosts Twitter feed into the mainstream of public opinion, which is a good thing. And uh, they are writing how this little notice but extremely dangerous project, uh, Moore v. Harper, it started out And really what the case is at its core is this gerrymander in North Carolina. The North Carolina Republicans gerrymandered their state to give massively more seats in the House of Representatives and in their own state House and Senate to Republicans than to Democrats. Um, So that even though the majority of voters in the state of North Carolina are now voting Democratic, which is why the state has a Democratic governor, the Republicans still control the state. And the Republicans still control the state delegation in the House of Representatives. Well, the state Supreme Court pointed out that the Constitution of North Carolina says that essentially it it, it speaks of a Republican form of government. And a Republican form of government has been understood from the founding of the Republic. It's also also in the Constitution that people are guaranteed a Republican form of government. Um, That... And what that means is that the will of the majority of the voters is what becomes law. It's what what goes. And so the Supreme Court in North Carolina said, no, you can't do that gerrymander because you would have, you know, 55, I'm making these numbers up, but, you know, you would have 55% of the people in the state voting for Democrats and you would have Republicans controlling 70% of your state offices and your congressional delegation. And the numbers are probably in that neighborhood. Might be closer to 51 or 52%, but they're in that neighborhood. And so this got appealed to the Supreme Court. The Republicans in North Carolina, they want to keep their gerrymander, which was ruled unconstitutional by the North Carolina Supreme Court, and this got appealed to the Supreme Court, and four members of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, in in, uh, several different decisions and opinions have basically taken the position that under the Constitution, the legislature of North Carolina, without any say from the Democratic governor, by the way, he can't veto this, the legislature of North Carolina can decide how elections are run and who gets what seats and all that kind of stuff. They're going to they're going to uphold extreme gerrymanders. But that's just the first step. They're also, in my opinion, and growing, you know, increasingly, we're hearing this from respected mainstream uh, uh, legal commentators, lawyers. You know, the lawyers like Lawrence Tribe who wrote a piece about this in last Monday's uh, Los Angeles Times, by the way, it's worth checking out. We're hearing from them that, yeah, they also want to be able to say, yeah, so, you know, the majority of people in North Carolina voted for Joe Biden. We're going to give the, we're going to give the electoral college college votes to Donald Trump anyway, or Ron DeSantis or, or whoever. And this is dangerous stuff. Back in 2020, Sam Alito was joined by Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch in writing a statement not an opinion, a statement validating the so-called independent state legislature theory. This was the theory, by the way, that John Eastman was using 
to argue to the states, the, the, the swing states that, that voted for Biden, that they should throw their elections toward, for Trump. In other words, the court is going to legalize the John Eastman Donald Trump conspiracy. Back in March, these authors point out in theatlantic.com, back in March, Alito, again joined by Thomas and Gorsuch, issued yet another dissent that all but asked the Republican legislators to file an appeal, which they did, and, and we got here. So here's where, and Brett Kavanaugh in one of these, uh, yeah, Brett Kavanaugh, suggest, a concurrence from Justice Brett Kavanaugh suggested much the same. So now we've got Alito, Kavanaugh, Thomas, and Gorsuch on record as saying, no, the independent state legislature theory holds, and Republican legislatures in states should be able to decide where the electoral college votes go and how badly they're going to gerry- gerrymander the state. Now, that's four out of nine. They need one more vote. And we don't know what the position is of Amy Coney Barrett or John Roberts. But if either one of them, and it only takes four votes to grant what's called grant cert, grant, grant to, 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 for the Supreme Court to say, yes, we will hear this case. And so presumably those were the four votes to grant cert for this case. And the question is, will they pick up Barrett and Roberts? And I have a feeling we will know, or we will have a good sense of this by the end of October, this fall a month before the election in November. And in my opinion, the only thing that can stop this is just a massive Democratic blowout in this November's elections. And frankly, I'm thinking that the sleeping giant has been awakened with this uh, Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. That women across America are pissed off like never before and they are mobilizing and organizing along with their allies, their, their male allies. And what we need to do, what all of us need to do right now is make sure as many of these people as possible have gotten themselves registered to vote. Bob in Desert Hot Springs, California. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions to get your opinion on something. If Jim Claiborne and, and the black majority would have voted for Bernie instead of Biden, do you think uh, he could have defeated Trump? Yes, easily. <laughs> I agree. And my second question is, don't you think if we had a popular vote as opposed to the electoral system, that it would have been more difficult for Donald Trump to try to pull uh, his takeover? Well, yeah, he lost the, in 2016, he lost the election by 3 million votes. Uh, just like in 2000, George W. Bush lost the election by a half million votes. Uh, if we, if we, you know, measured the actual will of the voters of America rather than the Electoral College, uh, we would have that. I think, frankly, the Supreme Court should strike down the Electoral College and say it's inconsistent with the guarantee in the Constitution of a Republican form, form of government. Right. My question is, uh, would have Trump been able to try to pull these shenanigans well, with a popular vote, it would have been more difficult, no? Yes, it would have been impossible. Right, there's so more, that's even another reason to, to have the popular vote. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's, it, it says here that you wanted to talk about Ted Kennedy, too. Oh, yeah, Tom, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, in my opinion, with the exception of Elizabeth Warren and uh, Bernie Sanders, who I both love, uh, there's no moxie in the in, in, in the Democratic Party. Nobody's fighting that truth. I mean, the truth, uh, you know, is strong. You know, it helps. And nobody's yeah. really, uh, yeah. you know, putting these guys down for what yeah. they are—a bunch of, uh, you know, a bunch of billionaire puppets. We we miss Ted. Let me let me give you just a little dose of Ted Kennedy. This is Ted Kennedy. Uh, complaining about the Republicans blocking legislation to raise the minimum wage for over a decade. $240 billion in tax breaks for corporations, $36 billion in tax breaks for small businesses, increase in productivity, 42% over the last 10 years. But do you think there's any increase in the minimum wage? No. What is the price? We ask the other side. What is the price that you want from these working men and women? What cost? 
How much more do we have to give to the private sector and the business? How many billion dollars more are you asking, are you requiring? When does the greed stop? Brilliant. That's what I'm talking about, Tom, that attitude. I know. That attitude. I know. Well, there, there are a few members of Congress who have it. Sheldon Whitehouse has it. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm seeing yes. more and more, you know, members of Congress yes. are, are figuring yes. out that if they want to have uh, any kind of career. T- Tim Ryan is starting to talk like this. You know, he's, he's running yes. for the Senate yes. in Ohio and he's two points latest polling. He's got two points ahead of J.D. Vance now. So, uh, you know, go ahead. They, 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 I'm sorry, Tom. They, they, they need to listen to Ted Kennedy and get that attitude and spirit. Yeah. You, you know, and uh, kick a little, you know, tortoise. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Bob, and that's why I keep that, that uh, clip, uh, you know, uh, handy. And it's, in fact, it's Sean's favorite clip. <laughs> She's like, she was just applauding. Oh, boy, you played it. Uh, Bob, thanks a lot for the call. And, and spot on, yeah. Uh, we need more, more people with the fire in the belly that uh, Ted Kennedy had. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. But I, I think that the Republican, I think this 40-year run of the GOP is coming to an end. If it doesn't, I fear for my country. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another piece that I wanted, I was just speaking about a piece in the, uh, I believe that was in, yeah, that was in the Atlantic. This is another piece that's in the Atlantic. The Atlantic is uh, batting 100 or batting batting 1,000 this week or month or whatever it is. It's titled The Most Pathetic Men in America by Mark Leibovich. And it's an excerpt from a book that he's got coming out soon. And he's talking about Kevin McCarthy and Lindsey Graham. And it's just an absolutely fascinating profile of these two men. And I think that they are avatars for, you know, kind of the totem animals of a whole group of men in America. These beta men who aspire to alpha status through their association with an alpha man, in this case, Donald Trump. And he talks about the slavishly devoted Republicans who Trump brought to his side. Without the complicity of the Republican Party, Donald Trump would just be a glorified fox-watching geriatric golfer. But he asked Lindsey Graham, he said, you went from being one of Trump's most merciless critics in 2016 to being such a syncopant. Why? And Graham said, and I'm quoting, well, okay, from my point of view, if you know anything about me, it's not odd to do this. This is to try to be relevant. I could get Trump on the phone faster than any staff person who worked for him could get him on the phone. McCarthy bragged to me. So here you got, oh, Graham said, uh, this is to try to stay, stay relevant. So both Lindsey Graham 
it turns out Rudy Giuliani too, and Kevin McCarthy, but the, the two legislators, Lindsey Graham in the Senate, Kevin McCarthy, who if the Republicans get the control of the House of Representatives will be the Speaker of the House next year. Both of them embrace this servile attitude toward Trump because by sucking up to him, by, by kowtowing to him, by submitting to him, he gives them power. He kind of pats them on the head. McCarthy, uh, this is uh, a quote, this is from the article. Let me just read this paragraph to you. It's breathtaking. Um, he's talking about, he, he met with uh, Kevin McCarthy in the uh, spring of last year in Bakersfield at a, uh, at a restaurant, a dessert joint, Dewar's. And uh, between licks of, of his chocolate ice cream cone, Kevin McCarthy also kept showing me pictures of himself with celebrities. I tossed the pesky legacy question his way. In other words, you know, aren't you concerned that your legacy, being a Trump, you know, being a suck up for Trump is going to hurt your, you know, how you're remembered by history? Back to the article. McCarthy kept his head down and pulled up a photo of the Pope. Then one of President George H.W. Bush's casket, his mother, his teenage self, his, with majestically feathered hair. He said, here's another one of me with Trump on Air Force One. Then, what did you ask me again? So he repeats the question, what do you think your legacy is going to be, given you know, how you've been sucking up to Trump? And McCarthy eventually looked up and said, oh, the Jeff Flake thing? No one's putting up any statues to Flake at the Capitol. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Flake, Flake, of course, was the senator from Arizona who stood up to Donald Trump. So Kevin McCarthy is basically saying, you know, I'm not going to get any political benefit out of challenging Donald Trump, even if he's trying to destroy our country, so I'll continue to suck up to him. He talks about in this article how um, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, this, is, this is amazing, uh, Trump was a familiar type to Graham. His parents ran a dive bar called the Sanitary Cafe in a rural part of South Carolina. Short and pudgy, Lindsay was a tag-alone figure who played the child mascot to the small-town characters who passed through the saloon. They nicknamed him Stinkball. He always gravita gravitated to custodial, larger-than-life figures, or alpha dogs, as he calls them. Lindsey Graham refers to them as alpha dogs. For decades, John McCain served that role. He and Graham were best Senate friends, smoke-jumping into global hotspots and tense Capitol Hill negotiations. They knew where all the Kit Kats and Coke Zeros were stashed in the Sunday show green rooms. And, you know, it goes on from there. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you're seeing this among your friends and acquaintances. This, these insecure men who are, and, and presumably women as well, but th this, I think this is a particularly male thing, who want to be powerful. They want to have a sense of personal power and destiny and force in the world, but they don't have, it, it's not part of their personality. So they have to find Big Daddy. They have to find the great leader. I mean, this, this is what provoked the phenomena, in my opinion, of both Mussolini and Hitler, was the, these men who were looking for a great leader that they could suck up to. I think that this is the major phenomenon across America. And because of that, I lay this question at your feet. Do you think that the January 6th committee is cutting Trump down to size enough that the men across America who rely on Trump for their sense of masculinity and power will reject him? Do you think it's possible? I think it's already happening, frankly. And I think that there's a lot of lost men out there right now who just are not sure where to go for their, their testosterone fix. And welcome back. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what math uh, puzzle do you have for us today? Oh, mainly I just want to talk about the bathification, as in Saddam Hussein, but bathification of America mm -hmm. and the Supreme Court and our corporations. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
If I can just jump in for a second, Larry, for people who don't know what you're talking about, bathification was basically, and Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein had single party rule. He had a, one political party, it was the Bath Party. And if you were not a member, very much like the Nazis in Germany in the 30s, if you were not a member of that political party, you did not qualify for a government job. And most of the jobs, the good jobs, were government jobs. And a lot of the, even the private corporations went along with this and wouldn't hire you if you weren't a member of the Bath Party. Back to you, Larry. Yes, and so what I call this quantitative easing, this is how they, they kind of suckered all of our corporations. They were already kind of in bed with the Republican Party. But uh, quantitative easing, I call it reparations for corporations. <laughs> and they basically got hooked on the drug of money. And so when the Fed was feeding them all that, just spoon feeding them money, they didn't even have to ask for it. All they had to do, all the Fed had to do is go to the, into the uh, stock market and just buy up their assets. Yeah. buy up their corporate assets. And they also bought up the government assets that the corporations were um, were, were also um, buying. So in, in effect, they were getting the best price for the for the government assets that the corporations had, had paid for. And they were getting their own corporate assets bought by the federal, uh, Alan Gre uh, not Alan Greenstein, but uh, the Fed chairman. Yeah, Jerome, so Jerome Powell. Is, Jerome Powell. So what this, what this did is it basically uh, turned our corporations into a... Uh, it's, and again, a fascism. Uh, agents of agents of one political party. Right. Yeah. And so you have a situation where Elon Musk got the message. So he moved his company out of California to Texas. Right. ADP got the message and they started uh, feeding us. And I told you about this earlier. They started feeding us bad information on on um, on uh, Obama when he was president. Bad job jobs information. Well, guess what? I, I talked to you about three weeks ago about that. And last week, ADP announced that they're going to uh, re revamp their um, their policies again because apparently they don't like the word people talking about this on the on the radio and mm -hmm. telling everybody that their their numbers are junk. And you can you can find that from last week. They they decided they didn't even give us a jobs report last week because they said they were revamping the system. Oh, that's interesting. And Maybe so that's you, good you news, Larry. Have, you know, you have this you have this situation where, of course, uh, uh, Aramco. Now the, the Saudis, um, we're now part of uh, uh, OPEC now. I guess you could say that. Yeah. And OPEC is, is, is in bed with the Republican well, Party. Well, we no longer, I mean, you know, the United States used to have 50% ownership of Aramco. We no longer do. Yeah, now they, now they have ownership of us. Right. And I, I know this is getting a little off track, but um, uh, we should always remember that Bill Clinton tried to break up uh, Microsoft. So that at least one time uh, we had a president who decided he was going to try to stop all of this. Um, well, and the, and the Biden uh, administration has just announced that they're seriously thinking of breaking up Google. Yeah. I so mean, you, you this have is, this, this, you is have this situation stuff. where um, where uh, they have been feeding these corporations. And yeah. again, it, it, this is fascism. Yeah. And, and, and now so after feeding the corporations, now that Biden's president gets what they're going to do. You're not going to feed them anymore. So, so Larry, two, I, I, I'm assuming you're, you're addressing my hypothesis that some of this inflation is being driven by corporate, uh, not just corporate greed, but corporate desire to uh, hurt Democrats politically. Absolutely. Uh, Paul Krugman, just a couple of days ago in the New York Times, uh, was talking about this, and he, not, not specifically about this, but he, uh, about the economy. And he said, let's talk about the numbers now. They don't add up. Are you, and then he lays out what you're talking about, contradictory information. He says, are you confused? You should be. I've been in this business a long time, and I can't remember any period when economic numbers were telling such different stories. Um, so you're have, you're agreeing have, with me that this is this is corporate manipulation for political purposes. Yes, we have people right now in in, in high places calling for a recession. Yeah. When has that ever happened? Yeah. When when has a a, a media outlet ever predicted uh, precisely predicted a um, a recession that was going to occur? Yeah. No. Uh, you, if anything, they they try to talk talk it down rather than up. Larry, I got Except it. Except for Democrat is in the White House. There you go. Thank you, Larry. I'm in. Over the last 20 years, the microchip industry has shut down more than 780 manufacturing plants in the United States and eliminated 150,000 American jobs while moving most of its production overseas after receiving over $9.5 billion in government subsidies and loans, writes Senator Bernie Sanders in today's Guardian. Uh, Senator Sanders is on the line with us. Uh, Senator, welcome back to the program. So what's up with this uh, program to invest, to try to bring chip manufacturing back to the United States? Well, Tom, when you want to know why the vast majority of the American people are so disgusted 
uh, with corporate-controlled status quo politics. This is exactly the reason why. As you have just indicated, over the last 20 years, you have an industry which shut down hundreds and hundreds of plants in America. Last year, I think the top five companies, Intel and Texas Instruments and the other combined, made something like $70 billion in profits. So you have an industry that threw American workers out on the street, moved abroad, today is very profitable. And you know what the United States Congress is about to do next week? The Senate is about to vote on a $52 billion blank check, no strings attached, no demands, no protections for the American people, going to a handful of large microchip companies, begging them, bribing them, please don't leave America. Here's a check for $52 billion. That is pathetic, and I certainly am going to vote uh, against that legislation. Yeah, it, it seems like a variation on what Walmart has been doing to us for 40 years. You know, sure, we'll open a store in your community. Just give us a 20-year tax abatement and a million dollars. Right. I mean, it is what's even uh, uglier about that is that there is no debate, certainly not on my part, uh, that we have a serious crisis in terms of microchips. Microchips, the very sophisticated microchips are the future of the world's economy. Uh, we need them for automobiles. You need them for the military. You need them for health care. They are very, very important. And yet you have companies, and we hear from the military how important it is you know, for our defense. Mm-hmm. And yet you have companies that are saying, essentially, if you do not give us a blank check, corporate welfare, uh, we're going to leave this country and to hell with the military, to hell with the health care industry, to hell with the economy. What's most important is our profit margin. So, so what's the and alternative? I think that, what should we well, be The doing? alternative is to say to them, fine, let's do industrial policy. Now, industrial policy means that in certain circumstances, you want the government to be working with the private sector. And the private sector has a right to make a profit. The government has a right to gain its interest. In this case, we want microchip manufacturing done in the United States so our economy is strong and we are protecting the needs of working families. That's a legitimate concern of the government. But you don't simply give a blank check to an industry which has shown its contempt for the American people and the United States in years past. You sit down with them and you say, okay, listen, we're going to give you money. But you know what? If you make money, if you make profits as a result of this, which they certainly will, unless I'm very mistaken, you're going to share those profits with the American people. Oh, and by the way, if there is an effort to organize a union in your industry or in your company, you're not going to oppose that. And by the way, you're not going to do stock buybacks with this money. You're not going to use taxpayer dollars to simply give it to your wealthy stockholders. So there are strings that you put onto that legislation, which benefits not just the companies, but the American people as well. Yeah, that seems like an entirely reasonable way to do it. And I mean, that was the basis of a lot of FDR's policies and even some of LBJ's, wasn't it? It's the basis of what we did during the pandemic. All of these things that I am asking for were passed unanimously in the CARES Act. Yeah, there you You go. So it's, you know, you don't just give money away without protecting taxpayers without protecting the needs of working families. But it is what this is about, Tom, and I know I'm, you know, I, uh, I'm speaking to the choir here because you have been talking about this for decades. What you're looking at is a rigged economy in which the very rich are getting much richer. This, Once again, with this particular industry, they're doing phenomenally well. Yeah. Their profits are very, very high. They don't need a blank check corporate bailout. But in general, what you're seeing in America today is the people on top, billionaire class, doing phenomenally well. They made some $2 billion. They saw a $2 trillion uh, increase in wealth during the pandemic, while working families are falling further and further uh, behind. You're looking at an unprecedented level of corporate greed. While the price of gas is in decline right now, it is outrageously high at the same exact time as the oil companies are making huge profits. Food prices are high at the same time as food companies are making huge profits. And what all of this is about is the stranglehold that big money has on both political parties. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is not what democracy is about. This is a, a, a corrupt political system. It's a rigged economy. Uh, it's there to benefit the very rich at the expense of the middle class and working families. Yeah, as, as Jimmy Carter said on this program, we, we are rapidly becoming an oligarchy rather than a democracy, and it's not a good we're thing. We're there. Yeah. We're there. You know, yeah. it's a funny thing. And, and, you know, and tied into that is the corporate media, which is owned by these guys. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're looking at a situation, and, you know, we don't sit down and, and, and have the kind of discussion that, that we need to have. Does anybody really think... Anyone listening to this program, that it is appropriate that three people in America own more wealth than the bottom 50 percent of wow. people in this country? Three wow. people. Wow. That the top one percent owns more wealth than the bottom 92 percent. That in industry after industry, you have a handful, you know, whether it is Wall Street, you know, in Wall Street right now. And I'm sure you have talked about it, but the corporate media doesn't. You got three Wall Street firms, BlackRock. State Street and Vanguard, who control assets of over $20 trillion. It's greater than the GDP of the United States. That's the GDP of the United States. Three Wall Street firms. They are the major stockholders in hundreds of companies, including the major banks in America. So So what you got, you know, President Carter was wrong. It's not that we're moving to an oligarchy. We are there. Yeah. We are there right now. This was about eight years ago that he he said that. But I'm with you. He was right then. So so, we are moving, you know, we're there and they control. And then you look at what's going on politically today. You have groups like APAC and other super PACs putting in huge amounts of money to defeat progressives who are running for, you know, Congress in in Democratic primaries. So... You know, the issue of the moment is how we address the greed and the power of the billionaire class and large corporations who are very religious people, Tom, but their religion is greed. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got 150 billion, that's not enough. They want 200 billion. They got 18% profits, that ain't enough. They need 25%. Profit. You know, on and on it goes. So, uh, you know, these are tough times. And, and I know a lot of people are demoralized are discouraged. We're not dealing with climate change. Uh, We're not dealing with the attack on women's rights and abortion rights. We're not dealing with the gun violence uh, in this country. Uh, We're not dealing with the health care crisis. So people are frustrated, but I think we just got to keep plowing forward, maintain with pride the agenda that we are fighting for, which is the agenda that working families in this country want and need. Amen. Now, I know you've, you've been working as chairman of the Budget Committee in the Senate, you know, one of the most powerful committees there, um, with the Biden administration very closely and, and this kind of build back better version two that, right. that was going to try and, and... And Joe Manchin came out and just stuck a knife in your back, it seems to me. I, I'm curious Well, he didn't stick a knife that. in my back. As I was talking six months ago. I knew exactly what he was doing. You know, Manchin has received, if I'm not mistaken, campaign funds something like 25 Republican billionaires. You know, so I am not shocked by what he is doing. The, the difficulty is that, you know, the Democrats, we only have 50 people in the Democratic caucus. We managed, and I worked very hard on this, to pass the American Rescue Plan, which in my view is one of the most consequential pieces of legislation ever passed and helped us get out of that terrible, terrible economic situation and pandemic that we we're in. But we could not hold on to 50 people to go forward with Build Back Better. And the result of the sabotage of Manchin and Cinema is that after we passed Build Back Better, President Biden's favorability rates were 59%. The American people said, yeah, thank you. We're dealing with a pandemic. We've lost our jobs. Thank you for the extended unemployment. Thank you for the child care. Thank you for the child tax credits, which lowered poverty, child poverty in this country by something like 50%. Uh, thank you for the direct payment of 1400 bucks when we desperately needed per person in this country. Uh, thank you for all of those things. You're doing what the American people want. And Biden was very popular. 
Congress was doing well. And then you had Manchin and Cinema saying, oh, wait a minute, why are we offending corporate America? Why are we asking now going forward, asking the rich and large corporations to stop paying their fair share of taxes? That's not what they do. They get funded by these by these large pharmaceutical companies, fossil fuel companies, billionaires. That's not what they do. So it should have been recognized six months ago that yeah. we, we're not going to make any progress. We need we need uh, more Democratic senators. Senator, we have just 60 seconds. Thoughts as we move forward on where we should be focusing our activism to help s support the kind of work you're doing? Well, you know, you got an election coming up. It would be a disaster for the Republicans to gain control over the Senate or the House. It's important that we elect as many progressives as possible. So if you are in a district where a progressive is running for Congress, please give him or her the help that they desperately need. Yeah, and there's some good progressives out there who are running. There are some, we have elected some great progressives. Yeah. Summer Lee in Pennsylvania comes to mind. Delia Ramirez in Chicago, Jonathan Jackson in the Chicago area. We're electing some great, great progressive leaders. Yeah, and you're absolutely one of them. Senator Bernie Sanders, thanks so much for dropping by and for raising these issues and, and keeping them you know, in the consciousness of America. It's so critical, and you're doing such great work. Thank you, Senator. Well, thank you for the great work you do, Tom. Back at Talk you. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Senator. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And welcome to Tom Harbin University Book Club. Today we're reading from the last hours of ancient sunlight, the fate of the world and what we can do about it. And uh, this is from page 165, The Lives of Ancient People. From the San and the Kogi Value, Community, and Cooperation, we are part of the world, not separate from it. Chapter. One of the oldest cultures on Earth is that of the Kung Bushman, it's an exclamation mark to make that noise, of the Kalahari Desert in the northern parts of South Africa. The exclamation point in their name, Kung, represents a sound in their language which we don't have in English. It's a popping noise made in the mouth by forming a vacuum between the tongue and the top of the mouth and then pulling the tongue down quickly. There are three other sounds in their language for which we have no letters. All of them clicks or pops, made by similarly clicking the tongue against the front of the mouth or the sides of the mouth and teeth. They're such a unique culture that although they're ancient, their language contains sounds that have traveled to no other human tongue on Earth. Over the past few decades, as they've become more well-known, they've asked anthropologists and linguists that they be called the San, although most texts from before the 1980s refer to them as the Kung. They and their life are portrayed wonderfully well in the film, The Gods Must Be Crazy. The San are racially distinct from the other Africans who have conquered the continent in the past millennia. Their skin is more yellow than black, and their eyes are slightly slanted as if they share a common ancestor with Asians, or perhaps are indeed an early ancestor of the Asians. Their hair is black and curly like other Africans, but they're comparatively short and thin, often standing less than five feet tall and weighing fewer than 100 pounds. The lives of the San were first chronicled quite elegantly by Lawrence Vanderpost, a South African explorer and writer. In his 1961 book, The Heart of the Hunter, he tells of coming across a small Kung tribe of about a dozen adults and children as they crossed a particularly hot and barren part of the desert. Vanderpost and his fellow explorers started hunting some game so the Bushmen could have extra food to carry on their journey toward the lightning on the horizon where the seasonal rains were beginning. The explorers spent an entire day hunting with their Land Rovers and provisioned the Bushmen well for their trip. As the little tribe was leaving, Vanderpost and his group stood to wave goodbye, but the Bushmen simply walked off with many smiles. No thank yous were ever given for all that food. One of Vanderpost's assistants, a hunter who'd never encountered Bushmen before, commented that they seemed ungrateful and uncaring. Ben, one of the other men in the group who understood Bushman culture, responded that to give another human food and water is only good manners and is routine behavior among the Bushmen. If the white men had been starving on a long trek and the Bushmen had found them, they would immediately share their food and water, even if it endangered their own survival, and they would not expect a thank you in response. In fact, in San Bushman culture, to eat in front of another person who is without food is considered an immoral act, every bit as horrific as if in our culture a person were to walk out onto a busy city sidewalk, pull down their pants and defecate. Everyone would be shocked and horrified. As it happens, the San do say thank you. They do it whenever they're hunting, when they're making a decision to take a life. No animal is killed for food by the San without being thanked by them, both at the time of the hunt and later when a dance is done for the soul of the animal. And animals are only killed when there is a clear need for food. 
For those of us who grew up in modern civilization, it's difficult to imagine a life and culture where such fundamental things are simply taken for granted. When we stop behind a car at a red light, we don't open the door and run up to the car in front of us to thank them for being so considerate as to follow the basic rules of the road and stop for the red light. It's simply a given that everybody does that. No thanks are required. Thanking people for doing something implies they had a choice to do otherwise and did so out of a desire to be nice. But imagine a world where feeding another person is as much an automatic response as stopping at a red light. A world where a person who fails to feed or care for another is ostracized or punished the way we give people tickets when they run red lights. Where the care of others is more important than even the care of yourself. Where the teaching all things that you should want others to do to you, do ye even so unto them, is actually practiced. Not out of an effort, but as part of a daily routine, as the normal way things are, as the basic assumption of a society. That is San culture, the way of an older culture. A storyteller of Chippewa Cree ancestry told me that his people have a belief that if a person visits your home and you fail to share with them food and water so that they leave hungry or thirsty, and then the creator decides to take them home at that time, they will arrive in the spirit world hungry and thirsty. He said, the responsibility for that, for that person's condition in the world, is yours because you were the last person he met and you had an opportunity to feed him. So we have an obligation to feed and give water and shelter and whatever else a person may need whenever they come into our village or our home. In our younger culture, we value productivity and individual possession. In their older culture, they value community. Most modern people find it difficult or impossible to imagine a world where community is more important than possessions. Yet this is how about 1% of the world's population still lives and how all of your and my ancestors lived for hundreds of thousands of years. In 1997, a group of 13 researchers released a study in which they quantified the value of all the environments on the planet, from measuring the size of the Louisiana shrimp harvest to how much people were willing to pay for access to a lake coral reef or other natural attraction. They concluded that the planet's natural areas were worth about $33 trillion. And then from there, I go on to talk about how that's a crazy way to value anything. And we need to be, you know, revisiting these ancient culture values. The book is The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.